Hello and welcome. In this episode, Dragos shares his path from a student up to a teaching and research position at a top university in Vienna. Learn about his expertise in the negotiation field, why he studied entrepreneurship and innovation, and also listen carefully about his transition and why he decided to have skin in the game by starting his own consulting company. Enjoy! Uh, thanks so much for joining my podcast. It would be awesome to start off by uh, telling um, our listeners a short summary of your bio. Okay. Um, I'm very happy that you invited me to your podcast, so it's been great to be here. Um, so, yes, a little bit about myself uh, and my history and how I got to where I am. Um, so, I started in Bucharest in Romania. I grew up in a family that's part Romanian, part German. I went to normal schools, nothing really fantastic. I I started getting very interested in basically anything. Um, I was curious about physics and chemistry and biology and so many disciplines. I couldn't even, uh, I couldn't even keep up with everything. I didn't have the time for it, but I ended up uh, going for a um, industrial engineering and management um, degree uh, at uh, Polytechnica in Bucharest. Um, in German language, because, well, why not leverage what potential I already had? And why specifically that? Because it was a mix between economics and engineering, and it would be a, let's say, future safe bet <laughs> uh, of what I could possibly achieve. Um, and yeah, um, in my third year, I went uh, with an Erasmus um, program to Vienna, to the Vienna University of Technology. Um, huge step up from Polytechnica <laughs> Ukraine. Um, and I, I really enjoyed my time there. I, well, not just the university itself, but living in Vienna was just amazing. So I basically thought, uh, you know what, when I'm finished with my bachelor in Romania, I will just move there, move to Vienna and continue doing stuff there. Yeah, so basically uh, I, I finished in Bucharest. Um, I finished my bachelor, I went to Vienna. Um, I, I had a little, a little um, pause there because I, I worked for BMW in Munich for a short while um, and as an engineer. <laughs> and then yeah, I started my master's in Vienna, uh, also industrial engineering, uh, this time more focused on management because, uh, well, management apparently it's a future thing as well. Uh, <laughs> so during my time there, um, first off, it was uh, really a shock how different it was from, from my upbringing from Romania. It was much harder, much faster. Everything was different in a good way, actually. Um, it was much more dynamic than I uh, thought. And a few years in, I think two years in, I decided, you know what, I wanted to start a second master's degree. Oh, uh, oh I didn't uh, Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I went and I did, I had opportunities. That's the, that's the beautiful thing. I had great opportunities with great professors. Uh, I, I went and started a joint the double degree program. Uh, it's called TEMP. Um, this is... Um, um, it's a program for engineers that also want to do entrepreneurship and innovation 
And this is a joint program between Vienna University of Technology, uh, Universidad de Sevilla in Spain, and uh, Royal Institute of Technology in Sweden. So I went for, uh, well, one semester in each. Well, actually, it was more than, more like two weeks in each, but the rest was online, which was really great because uh, different professors, different views on everything, and uh, also practical um, knowledge. Yeah, we were basically working uh, throughout two years on one project or one business idea um, that followed basically the courses that we were having. It came out really, really great. Um, then I finished uh, my university in 2013 with a master's degree in industrial engineering and management. I started working at the university uh, right around then, um, 2011, 2012 or so. And it, it, it was really great. I mean, I started as a lowly tutor, <laughs> nothing very fancy. Um, but I, um, I moved up. I was a research assistant. I was, uh, then later I became a lecturer there. And in the end, I also started my PhD. <laughs> Uh, why not? I was already there. I was already teaching. I was already researching. So, and and that's kind of in my in my last, latest years of my bachelor. It was when I got really interested in um, in negotiations. I, I had a I had a great teacher um, for for a discipline that in the beginning, when I saw it in my program in my curriculum, I was like, "What is this? What's, what's negotiations? Like you go to the market and you negotiate. What's it about?" And it was really fantastic. I mean, um, I, I can say it was really an eye-opener and it was a beautiful, beautiful um, lecture. And it was, it really motivated me so, it motivated me so much that I actually wrote my master thesis in international negotiations. Okay, okay. I moved from management directly into that. Well, and, and then kind of later I started my first lecture at the university was in organizational design, but the second one right after was international negotiations. I basically picked up where uh, my uh, former professor left off. And then I kind of segued into basically what I studied. Um, I did, I was doing uh, courses on management and I was doing courses on negotiations and I was doing courses on entrepreneurship because I also had that discipline, right? And it just all grew organically. So basically, I ended up with these two large areas of my negotiations on one side and entrepreneurship on the other, uh, which uh, comes to, come to know many people in the field have exactly these two amazingly very disparate disciplines from each other, but somehow they just, um, yeah, they just work together very well considering perhaps that uh, young companies really need a lot of negotiation skills in order to get somewhere. Um, so I, I really got involved with, um, with organizations and societies in the, uh, on negotiations, um, international organizations. Um, I became a member of two organizations. I was a reviewer for journals in this field. And it was really, it was really, uh, it just wasn't just, what I learned, it, it became a hobby for me. It was just fun to do. And on this side, on this negotiation side, basically I, I just uh, moved um, further, um, uh, organizing the negotiation Olympics or actually called the, the negotiation challenge in Vienna in 2016, oh. uh, 
from there becoming also a judge for the for this competition 2017 18 19 20 <laughs> nice. um yeah is was is and will be probably for a very long time uh, something that i'm very passionate about so passionate that uh, i i'm actually opening a, a company or trying to open a business exactly in this field on the entrepreneurship side um it was also fantastic. I, I started, uh, I didn't really, I inherited this from my previous uh, professors, but I inherited a discipline where um, we were getting groups of students from three universities in Vienna uh, into the same classroom and doing the same projects. So just so they can actually work together, not just as students from one university, but more like real life where you have people from different with different backgrounds doing projects together with you. And uh, with these groups, with the best of these groups, um, I've been coaching them to go to the United States uh, to have international competition there. Yeah, it, it's just that you just so wide and <laughs> so many things that you, you can possibly do and honestly all of these from one single thing starting well take making the decision to move from romania to vienna that's, <laughs> that's just the beginning of everything yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, wrapped up to oh, your ambitions you you move to vienna <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah um okay Dagos, um really really interesting uh, things um you've mentioned is it okay to start all the way back and uh, just jumping in with a few questions um, so congrats on your background so far and i want to start with maybe polytechnica in bucharest um i'm particularly interested in so polytechnica is one of the best uh, universities in, uh, in romania and yet you decided to to leave bucharest and move to vienna uh, thanks to uh, Rasmus scholarship uh, you mentioned. So you had the chance to see how Vienna is uh, looking like uh, living abroad and so on. Well, I'm interested on why did you leave Bucharest and would you recommend to other students that probably are thinking at, the, at this time, okay, should I, first of all, should I experience a semester abroad in, in another country? And secondly, should I actually move abroad? When it comes to Vienna, which is the most livable city, in, <laughs> I don't know if, if it's still in the case. I mean, but the quality of life is really great. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, you had those dimensions uh, first uh, school, uh, the academic environment, and secondly, quality of life, with, which in Vienna is, is pretty awesome. So, what would you recommend to a student uh, going abroad, uh, experience a bit, and just have fun? I don't know. So, I can only offer a snapshot of my history and of what course. i did and this was yeah and this was 2007 2008 um i moved to vienna uh, so my erasmus semester was 2007 2008 and i moved to vienna in 2009 right so obviously things changed since then but for me it was um well it was as simple as i had so many opportunities in that one single semester more probably more opportunities than I had in three years studying at Politecnica. Why? Because um, it was just more focused on future. It wasn't focused so much on just going through the motions and getting a degree that no one really cares. And I mean, it's not saying that it's a bad degree. It's actually because, like you said, Politecnica is one of the best technical universities in Romania. That's no, there's no question about it, right? It's just I had for people that really want to do something, to achieve something, to be become whatever, 
it's so much easier to be recognized, for example, at the Vienna University of Technology, because the opportunities just come to you. you, you you're, you're good at something, you love something, all of a sudden you have access. Uh, most of my courses uh, when I was at Erasmus were done in cooperation or if not in cooperation, then at least with some external lectures from companies that are coming to showcase what they're doing. Uh, so you could have direct access to, well, workforce or just if you're passionate about something, hey, you definitely have something to do. Uh, at Vienna University of Technology, you have, uh, have student-led groups that build cars uh, and that builds uh, that build uh, what, what do you call those satellites we have a space division that builds satellites made by students like really students building satellites we even have a satellite in orbit sorry to, to jump in so you guys at, uh, in vienna you really play with uh, rocket science i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> something like that, yes, something like that which, which is amazing it's not just theory it's practice yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so for me, going abroad was really opening, eye-opening of how many possibilities you can have. And, you know, we all have just one life. Uh, wouldn't it be a waste to just squander it in one single place when you can explore so much more? It's just, you know, it's it? <laughs> yes, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And even, you know, even if you go to another place, not say Vienna, any place, you know, and you have a bad experience, you're still learning from that. It's not, you don't have to settle to where you were born. If you feel better in another country, just go. Um, up to date, I've been to, I have no clue exactly a number, but maybe 30 countries, maybe, um, or so. And, you know, sampling how different cultures and how different people are and how environments are, you might end up liking something more than where you were born. Yeah. So go ahead and try. Um, now, to, to your second question, to actually moving abroad, well, as a student, it's really great. You have, at least in Europe, you have the Erasmus program, which is fantastic. Use it if, if you have the chance. I urge everyone to just go. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing. Uh, not just because you, you meet new people, but you see something that you've never seen before. Yeah. One of the little anecdotes here that is was really <laughs> eye-opening for me. You know, I, I've been to Vienna, I came here, and uh, one of my friends back in the Erasmus days was explaining me how the, how the grading system works, you know? And, you know, I, I told him about the Romanian system from 1 to 10, and 1 to 4 you fail, and 5 to 10 you pass, and uh, 10 being the best. And in, in Austria, you know, it's 1 to 5, 1 being the best, 5 you fail, and it's just one grade with which you fail is five, you know? And he was thinking a bit and asking me, why do you need multiple grades with which you fail? You still fail. What's the point? <laughs> I never, I never imagined, I never even thought about this. I just grew up in a system that works like that, you know? It was really eye-opening for me. It's, uh, it's competition, you know? Even if you fail, I mean, it matters if you fail the last one. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, that, that would be my really, really hard work, heartfelt recommendation. Go out and explore. When you're um, young, it's so easy, you know? Okay, I can, I can totally agree. Okay, Dagos, so if, if you don't want to add anything else here, I'm curious, so when was on the radar the negotiation thing? Did you stumble upon negotiations during Politecnica or we went to move to Vienna and only after that you stumbled upon negotiations? And, mm -hmm. uh, 
the, that's really cool. So in Romania, there the, the curricula is fixed. You can't change anything. You can't do it. You you go to you you go to the classes that are written or prerequisites, and basically all of them are, and that's about it. <laughs> for a uh, course lecture or whatever no sorry not lecture uh, you register for if uh, for a degree and then inside that degree there are a few mandatory things for me there were um, i believe 11 lectures that are mandatory and everything else is optional everything else you can choose from large catalogs to create the degree the way you want you can personalize the degree for you and yeah, I just chose based on descriptions and based on what was interesting and, and reviews from other students. I mean, of course, you have forums and stuff. Uh, and I just ended up, hey, this is a course called International Negotiations. That could be fun. Okay, so that's how I got into contact with that. There was no prior knowledge or something. I just went okay. to that class. Just, just, to, just to highlight here, for Politecnica University, everything was structured and it was already there, so you couldn't add an extra lecture. Or... I, you couldn't. No, <laughs> so, I, no negotiation at all. <laughs> no negotiation, but uh, <laughs> not even at the university level, no negotiation. <laughs> okay, so you, you finished Politecnica in Bucharest, you moved to Vienna, a different system, mixing your courses and everything, having more of a thing in what you study or not. More control in exactly. how your future will look. Exactly, mm -hmm. which I think is a really, really important for a young individual. How was it like? You mentioned um, job at BMW. No, so when it comes to BMW, that was uh, a um, job that I that I took while I was in Romania, and I applied for it. And ah, okay, nice. Yeah, um, and it wasn't long. I mean, I was there only for five months or so, so it wasn't really a long time, long time job or something. Uh, but it was. I wanted to see. Well, first it was BMW. It was really cool and exciting. <laughs> to be there. Uh, but hard work. Uh, so okay. it's not. It's not. Um, you know, I've been working even as a kid. I was working with my father. He was taking me to work with him, and he was working in offices. So it was still office work, but it was much more. I would say relaxed for a kid, right? <laughs> for, for, for my father, it wasn't that relaxing to work, but for me, it was pretty relaxing. But that was the first time when I went to BMW, it was the first time when I actually worked. worked. Okay. And I worked a lot. I mean, I worked in shifts. It was nine hours a day, Saturdays included. So it was really a lot of work, you know? But uh, that's also when I realized I don't want to work here. I just <laughs> want to continue doing my university degrees. Uh, but uh, that was that was uh, an interesting, uh, let's say, eye opener as well. And also um, very much based on German values. Of course, it was in Munich. Of course, it was is Germany anyway. But German values in a sense of work is work. Uh, you can have fun in your free time or in your break, but during the work, uh, during your work time, you have to be professional. I mean, you don't have to be sad or anything. Just, uh, yeah, you can't just do anything you want. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. It wasn't that fun. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah. it's great because being in um, at Politecnica, University of Bucharest, so you've checked Vienna and you checked Munich at a very young age. And again, another question based on that. Would you recommend to the students or to anyone else to take internships again abroad? 
Absolutely. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> so I'm a bit biased, okay? I biased. am biased. I never really worked in Romania. I only worked in <laughs> Austria and other countries, but not Romania, you know? Okay. So, so I can't really compare. I can only, <clears throat> I only know from uh, talking with my peers and people that I finished uh, university in Bucharest with, how are they doing, you know? I mean, that's the only comparison that I have. And um, I don't know, I think I talk the long end of the stick because it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it was really um, better, uh, at, at least from what I heard. I, I also have to admit, I was not one of those students that were uh, having jobs in the university while studying. So I did not have that. But that allowed me at the same time to be flexible, to go to Austria, to go to Germany, to just move yeah. around, not just having to be stuck because I have a job, right? Yeah. So I was lucky in that respect because I didn't have to work. I mean, I was staying home with my parents, you know. Uh, yeah. But doing something else, not just staying home and oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, so I I definitely recommend going, especially if you already had a job in Romania. Maybe uh, go to see how other places treat their employees. You know, yeah. I can tell for a fact Austria is pretty wonderful. <laughs> uh, it's just amazing. I mean, the work-life balance it's great. You can work and you still, the, everyone still respects your private life and they're not just infringing, oh, we have a project, we just have to finish. No, no, wait, hold on. <laughs> you, know, you have a free time available to I'm, uh, you. I'm, to curious, I'm curious, how many holidays do you have per year in Austria? Oh, uh, a lot. Is that like, is like 21 is official days of holiday per year in Vienna, something like that. I mean, don't quote me on that, but something like that. And then you have at least, like, that's the minimum, is 25 uh, days of, of holiday okay. per year. Okay, okay. Uh, cool. On top of those, you know, so plus free days and uh, free days if you move free days if you something someone in your family gets married or if you if you have to move the house if you you move from one house <laughs> to another you get free days you know that they're paid and they're extra on top of the days that are free anyway Excellent. Uh, it doesn't mean that employees are moving quite a lot, no? <laughs> Just to take advantage of... No. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dagos. Um, uh, going next to, to the first master program in Vienna, it was about management. Why yeah. did you choose management? Yeah, what was your thought process at, at the time? Yeah, so that's, that's pretty simple. Uh, I was employed at the Faculty of Management right? Management science is called. And I've been working there for nine years, over nine years, right? Uh, and they have a series of courses, a lot of courses actually, and they were just looking um, to match people that are starting to work there with disciplines that they're more likely or most likely that they're good at, you know? <laughs> um, and because I showed a good interest in management during my university years. I was the prime candidate to start teaching that. Okay. Uh, it wasn't something I requested specifically, but it was matching people with disciplines, something like that. I'm interested if you had any vision as what's going to happen in the future. I mean, did you have, because uh -huh. in most cases, even, even in my case, I mean, yeah, I, was, I studied engineering, 
uh, it was not clear yet for me, okay, I'm gonna do this, this and that, not even the industry. I, it was not clear for me during my studies. So in my perspective, when I had to take decisions for myself, I, I chose to, okay, study engineering, study mathematics, and it doesn't matter if you wanna work in, I don't know, economics and any other field, it's okay to have a like, nice base of engineering and mathematics and then you, you will see what happens. Did you have such a way of thinking, okay, maybe it, is it fine, is it just wonderful to study management because of course anyone needs management, any organization, any company. It's, um, it's like a long-term vision. It was the case for you. I'll be honest. Uh, it's a very romantic thought that you choose something. In <laughs> okay, <to> okay. <laughs> That's not real life. <laughs> uh, no. So in short, no. Wrong answer is um, I was curious, like I said, I was curious about so many things I wanted to try. Um, when I was in, when I was in, in, uh, in primary school, I was really interested in history. Then in, the, in high school, I was so interested in physics that I went to an excellent center in Bucharest uh, preparing for the, uh, for the World Olympics in physics, right? Then I moved to university. I started being interested in, um, uh, in bachelor, it was quality management. Oh, and in master's, it was uh, in international negotiations. And in my PhD, I'm doing stuff with artificial intelligence. So... <laughs> I can say clearly <laughs> that I have no hat, right? <laughs> it's just that, you know, you're getting from one to the next um, while keeping your, your path open. That does not mean that any of my past is bad because now I'm not doing something that I used to do. It's just now I have so much more a broader experience on everything that I can combine things from my past into the present. And that's really great. And for me, it's actually better than becoming really focused on a very small thing that no one really cares about. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, yeah, yeah. You can be an absolute expert in one single field and be completely oblivious of everything else that's happening around you. I am not the type of person that wants to be that. Okay. So I prefer to have a broad approach and a wide view of the world. <laughs> and in that wide view, um, my history, my career path is just the way it is, you know, like everyone else's unique. And I'm very okay with that. You know, opportunities to go in life. You know, here's the thing. I never thought I will go and do a, double, a joint program in... Um, in entrepreneurship and innovation. Never, <laughs> never thought I will do this. I never thought I will be teaching negotiations. But now that, now that I have, I don't want ever to not have done it. The next leaders, they're gonna be generalists. Okay, then, so, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just wanted to say, it's just uh, something I always love to do, to take pieces from information from different sources and combine them. And, and, and it's so beautiful that you can, you have a, a broad area of expertise in many fields and you can bring them together better than someone that only has one field. I can tell you there are people in negotiations that are better than me, for example. Of course they are. But they are equipped <laughs> to handle maybe one, two, three, four different scenarios. Really good. I can focus on maybe 50 scenarios 
pretty good as well. Yeah. Why? Because I have a broad experience and that brings a lot to the table. Uh, yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, uh, Dagos, tell me a, li a, a little bit more about the, um, the second master's in uh, entrepreneurship and innovation. How is it like? What's this entrepreneurship about? I mean, what, what are they teaching you in, in school about entrepreneurship? Because it, this is really interesting because you started entrepreneurship and today you started your own yes. shop. Yeah. And... Mm -hmm. So, from a student point of view, uh, there's two big things. First, if you don't have any interest in conducting yourself and working for yourself, then it's going to be hard to impossible to do anything. Uh, so I always have a passion and I only went to this uh, joint double degree program with people that already had a passion and wanted to do something on their own, right? Th this program was basically taking us for through every single step in how to plan, prepare from the idea up to the point where you're actually doing something with lectures, following the projects that you started to work on by yourself or in a group. Actually, in a group, it was easier than yourself. And you go from uh, every university, so every one of these three universities had different topics or different core points. And in these core points, you're having a lot of topics be it um, um, financing, be it idea generation um, and innovation, finding gaps in the market and so on. I believe uh, we even had a module um, talking about how to market your products at the end and something like that. So really a very broad, but at the same time focused on creating something new in, in the world. And, and this, this actually was important. And I had this idea that I wanted to open or become an entrepreneur because also my, my parents are entrepreneurs. And even if they started later in life and they were employed until they in their 50s, uh, later they decided, you know, it's, it's actually, this is what we wanted to do. And it, it, of course it's hard. It's really hard. Entrepreneurship is not easy by any means. But entrepreneurship gives you the opportunity to not be the small cog in a huge uh, gear, but to be the most, the most important person and the person that coordinates and does everything. That also means you have all the risks, naturally, but that's, that's the life of an entrepreneur. I'm curious, there's anything changed from the time when you started and now, especially now with this digital economy and the... Um, Things. Yeah. Are the principles the same when, when it comes to teaching entrepreneurship and innovation? What do you think? Yes, a lot changed. So since <laughs> I was a student, really a lot changed. Uh, so since I was a student, uh, sure, I got all the theoretical things down. I mean, even the practical on how to choose the, the market and how to find the gap and so on. Sure, you knew all that. I knew all those things. But um, what something that was missing from the from the from lectures or, or degree itself is the idea that you need to be extremely persevered. So it's not just don't just have the know-how and all of a sudden five months later you have a business. No. You have to deal with a lot of issues. And in the university, you don't understand, I mean. Most students don't understand that it's really hard and you will have a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And 
the only thing that helps you keep going is the idea that you want to get somewhere. That is it. Uh, everything else will be against you at some point. If your mentality is something is wrong, so let's quit because it's hard, then, well, I'm sorry, but probably entrepreneurship isn't for you. Um, and, and this perseverance, this idea that you have to push through uh, when it's difficult and actually look forward, you have a challenge, you overcome it, at the end of the day, you go home, fine, I've done something today, solve the problem, you know? If you go home that evening and you think, oh, another day with problems, and if that's your mentality, yeah. then entrepreneurship again is not for you. <laughs> this is basically the big difference between me as a student and me now after teaching this. I can look at myself and I can tell you that through self-reflection, me, when I finished this uh, university degree with entrepreneurship and innovation, I would not have been ready to start a company. I was yeah. not ready. Now I'm much, I, I, I hope I'm ready now, because only <laughs> people will know if I will be ready now to do that. But now I, there's more that I can bring to the table. Just because you're motivated, it's not really enough. Motivation alone isn't enough. It's enough to start, but it's not enough to keep going. Um, you need something else. For me, that something else is experience and know-how. And this know-how you can't really get from just visiting some courses. You have to practically do something. Okay. And from the things that you do, those things that you do in the beginning don't necessarily have to be your business, have to be just trials or something to test out, you know, just like in negotiations, you cannot expect to have or to handle well a high level negotiation if you just if you can't negotiate for the price of a fruit in the marketplace it's obviously not going to work you also need the experience to get to the point where you can negotiate something big same with entrepreneurs how important is it to deal with with a failure because eventually in this entrepreneurship field at some point you will have a failure is it a skill is it a mindset how should we call it i don't know <laughs> you are the expert <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm hardly an expert. I'm, I'm generally so. <laughs> The thing is, uh, you know, I would call it a mindset. It's not really a skill you have. It's just a mindset because just like every single day, you know, you, you take a shower and, you know, at the end of the day or the next day, you're dirty again. So if you have the mindset, why even take the shower in the first place? But it's kind of the same thing. If you see, you know, problems will appear. Thing is, you, there's two big unknowns when it comes to entrepreneurship and how to deal with failure. The first one is there are no rules. So it's not like you can check if those, I don't know, five rules exist and you need to check if you infringe one of those five. If you don't infringe any of those, then you're fine. No, in entrepreneurship, everything is possible and everything is unknown. And because everything right. is unknown, you have to be creative enough to go around any issues you might have. That's number one. Right. And this is uh, how you deal with failure. You have to be creative. That's as simple as that. And the second thing is you need to be able to play the role of the detective. Sometimes you don't even know something goes wrong. So you need to be able to be the detective that goes around and plays around in everything in the project that you're developing to look for problems. It's good to find problems. If, and, and this is something I do, I also do coaching for, for teams that want to create businesses and that are startups. And if they are too optimistic, I will tell them, 
they're full of something because it's not possible, right? All those, I mean, I've been to too many competitions and too many uh, workshops and too many, just too much of everything where I saw those nice graphs that all go up and there's no possibility of ever going down, you know? This is, this is just incredibly bad. This is just a bad mindset, right? The, the correct mindset is you have a chance of succeeding and the majority of chances to fail. Now, in, with that mindset, you shouldn't be negative about it, but you should be very aware of that. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I said a bit earlier in this conversation, I'm looking for failure. I'm looking forward to see the problems because oh. problems I can solve. If there are no problems, there's something wrong. So yeah, that's, I was, uh, that's how I would deal with uh, failure. Uh, yeah. I believe I was reading in a book at some point, a guy was saying you should fall in love with the problem, not, not with the solution, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Um, was, um, let's move on and let's just talk a bit about the PhD because, for example, I had Vlad on a previous episode studying for a PhD in, in economics in Germany. And of course, he started his own company uh, in data science and so on. And I'm curious, what's the deal with a PhD in Austria? How is it structured? And in particular, how do you choose the topic of a PhD? I mean, is it something that the school is offering to you or just it must come from you? I mean, find a problem, do some research and eventually agree with, with a school that I'm going to do my research in this field, trying to, to, to solve a problem that I found. How is it like? Oh, it's uh, very varied um, because, I mean, I have colleagues that are, um, that started PhDs on topics that were given to them. Not many, actually, uh, very few. Okay. Um, because the university typically uh, motivates people to come up with their own subjects and okay. their own topics. And the reason for that is you will never be as motivated to work on something unless it's your own. And of course, at the same time, that means you don't go and look for mentors or, or go for, uh, or, or, or for professors that can help you with your PhD. You first find the topic that you want, and then you find someone that is capable of helping you. So it's a okay, bit the right. other way around from the normal way of going to a professor, a professor telling you, you know, uh, to do a topic in a field. But, you know, of course, even topics in PhD change a lot. And, and it's difficult, PhD, uh, at least at the uh, being uh, you know, University of Technology, is not easy at all. It's pretty difficult uh, because you are required to develop science um, and you're going from the position of a student that is just, uh, let's say, remembering and creating a little bit of something aside because as a master degree, you should also be able to come up with something by yourself to PhD where you need to develop a whole area by yourself, a whole area of science. And that's not easy. Yeah, on the other hand, uh, you, you will have the opportunity to be a pioneer in something that does not exist. Right. And, and, this, and this by itself is already a very big deal. Um, the, the reason you also asked me in the beginning, the first question was, uh, why even do a PhD? What's the point? And 
here is pretty simple. Um, Austria, Germany, Germanic countries in general, but not only, even English-speaking countries, some of them, put a big price on not so much education, but a doctorate. Um, there are positions and there are fields, for example, uh, when it comes to consulting, when it comes to financial analysis, when it comes to being on, a, on the board of directors of any big company that you cannot be part of unless you are a doctor. It's just not possible. It's just not feasible. Uh, so in a way, the doctorate itself is not so much to, um, to learn something or to create something, although that is the point of a PhD, to create something. Uh, it's more to prove to others, to the world, that you are capable of handling a lot of information and a lot of very high-level complex issues and be able to solve them. Okay, right. that's right. What, what skills do you think are mandatory for a person in order to finish, to accomplish a PhD, in regardless of what area of research? Yeah, yeah, so irrespective of the area. Uh, so the, the one thing that in, in uh, at least here at uh, Vienna University of Technology, there is very little handhold. So yeah. there's no mentor or something that you will go to and they will tell you how PhD works. No, you just go into it. And you need to be able to do it by yourself. The, the professors or so that you have as support and the ones that coordinate your PhD thesis, for example, they're there to answer specific factual questions, but not hand-holding. Hand -holding. <clears throat> so uh, it's as simple as that. You need to be able to work independently, professionally, with great results without being checked by someone else. It's so <laughs> in a way, it's also very similar to an entrepreneur where, again, there are no rules and no one tells you what to do. Uh, <laughs> you only have some guidelines. Um, so, so that's true. And also, perhaps, you should be good at writing. Uh, yeah. Naturally, the PhD requires writing, so uh, that's a bit of a prerequisite there. That is different from entrepreneurship. That's about it for the basics. And then it really depends what you're doing, uh, what field you're interested in. It leans more towards the entrepreneurship side of things rather than, I don't know, uh, corporate or... Because if you normally in corporate, you have a structure, someone will tell you what to do, at least at the beginning. Um, yeah, M many times, many times in PhD, uh, you feel like you're one person company, that you have to do everything. And on top of doing everything, you have to uh, defend your work from other people that are saying it's not good. And this is happening extremely often because yeah. when you're developing new fields, whatever it is, yeah, there's going to be naysayers around you saying, you know, what you're developing makes no sense, it's pointless, and you're just wasting your life, right? Now, to that, you cannot respond to personal attacks, but you have to be factual about it. So you learn to defend and you learn to improve what you've done. So again, with that, you know, failure, you're not failing, you're just right. improving. Right, right. To the point where you, you, you get to a point where you have some, uh, your, your PhD grows into some armored research <laughs> that is protected from all directions, uh, you know, and it's so bulletproof that you're basically saying nothing anymore because you can't say anything uh, without someone calling you out for it, but that's a different topic. That's, that's a great okay. that I have with science in general, but yeah. Uh, okay, okay, Dragos. So one question, 
what's the what's the title of your um, phd uh? so <clears throat> the title of my uh, phd is called machine invention systems principles implementation and limitation so how many years did you spend working on this so yes um the research for this or the, or the first interest in this topic started around 2014 about six years ago but my actual phd only started in 2017 so three years ago it's just it takes a long time between the first time you're starting to get interested in a subject up until to the point where you can actually apply for a phd because it's not it's not just normal enrollment you go in and you know, you're a phd student you have to prove that you have a topic that is a real field that you can develop uh that hasn't been developed yet and that you already have a basic knowledge in that field before you can do anything i've known colleagues of mine that spent a year or more just thinking of what topic they could possibly write in. This is very normal for a PhD student. It's absolutely normal. The world is endless or the options are limitless. Quite interesting, right? Well, you know, I mean, I also have, I know people and I have colleagues that just, you need to prove that you are able to master some degree of self-research. Yeah. Uh, and you can write and you can do uh, research and uh, understanding synthesizing things by yourself and that should be enough to actually get into a PhD I chose the route where I already knew exactly what I wanted to do and it was for me easier than just trying to fumble around and like I said earlier spend a year thinking of what subject should I pick you know um, I also had the advantage I was working already at the university so I finished my my master's in 2013 and I started my PhD in 2017. So four years, I've been already working at the university, being able to hold lectures, work on my research, and do research in other projects that helped me put together a much better topic to start with. Yeah. Okay. I remember you've been doing some work with an incubator in Vienna, right? How was it like to work with these companies yeah, at the early stage, at the beginning? So um, I worked not so much directly with Init. I worked sometimes with uh, companies or, or teams that were okay. in it, but I had to do quite a bit with other incubators as well. So I, I actually dealt with about four incubators okay. and accelerators. And there's two things. First, they're very motivated. Obviously, they're, all the teams I worked with, they're extremely motivated to push products out and just as fast as possible and steam through things. Um, most of the times, you know, when you, when you have this idea, oh, I want it now, uh, you end up with um, questions that you're not asking. And uh, sometimes uh, they were dreading uh, the coaching sessions with me for the simple reason that I was looking for problems. And uh, when I was finding the problems, obviously, right, <laughs> they needed to come up with solutions. And that was just hindering them to go faster and faster with the project launch. But actually, that helped them develop better products. Uh, so, sure, the teams are very motivated. Um, most of the, I, I, even, I even had teams that were so motivated, but not in the same direction, that they no. actually split up. No. <laughs> different products, <laughs> different products, right? 
not competing with each other, but basically teams splitting up. That's also something I've dealt with. Uh, it's just, it's a vast world uh, in startup if you want to do something. But also, you, you know, there's a saying, there, there's a saying, if you wait until your product is perfect, you're too late. Right, right. And, and, and it's true, it's absolutely true. But the reverse is also true. Coming on with the product that is terribly flawed on the market is just as bad or even worse because then you have one shot of being becoming something or someone with that brand or that product and you basically fail. So you have to find, and this is, this is basically my experience, you have to find the balance uh, between wanting to go as fast as possible, but at the same time doing it as well as possible. And my time as a uh, coach uh, for, for teams like that uh, is basically spent looking for issues that they haven't seen or they haven't looked or researched. And uh, of course, the more, more eyes you have on a product, the better the product will be, whatever is software or service or physical product or whatever it is. Okay. As a founder, what would be the, I don't know, main three qualities or skills, let's call it, let's call it like that, uh, to have in order to have a success in, uh, in, uh, in entrepreneurship? Okay. So first, very simple you need to be able to work a lot a lot without anyone telling you what to do that's number one secondly you have to be able to deal with failure like okay. we said earlier and like we discussed that's just you have to have that and third you have to have a you have to be able to manage and make a good plan i mean too many people get stuck into either details that don't matter or just so over the top generalized things that again you they're not seeing the picture so not getting stuck into the small things but also not getting stuck into the large things and this is i for example i, I have a good example here so uh, there were this this company that was going to use uh, recycled uh, plastics uh, taken out from the landfill to create some benches right and fantastic, they, they dealt with uh, the local government, they, uh, they dealt with the town hall, uh, they got approvals to install these benches, but you know what? They never actually did a test to see if people actually even like the design. <laughs> I mean, this is so obvious, you know? Uh, it's just pointless. Because the design, of course, you know, the people don't care if this bench is paid by, I don't know who, town hall or approved by I don't know who, but if they don't want to sit on that thing because it's so uncomfortable to sit, <laughs> you know, things like that, right. things like that. And, and, okay, this is um, when it comes to individual, but when it comes to a team of founders, what, what would you say? Oh, okay, so that's so simple. When it comes to teams, personalities need to match. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot have alpha people together with alpha people. You yeah. cannot have that. Yeah. If every single team member is focused on one single thing and one thing only, that's the recipe for success. Absolute success because everyone is focusing on different areas of the business. Okay. If there are two people focusing on the same area of the business, can still work if one is in charge 
So not equal founders. <laughs> That's also possible. Okay. But if this, all the people focus or some people focus on the same things and you don't know who's responsible for what, that's the recipe for disaster. You want to be dealt with, with people, with teams that are creating technology-focused products. And yep. in technology-focused product uh, or technology-focused uh, companies, uh, you don't, you know, the, the prime aspect or the prime focus is the technology and basically there's no one there to do the bookkeeping. Uh, <laughs> or any kind of discipline, nothing. You know, uh, they're just focusing on things. So in that case, there's it's hardly ever the chat the uh, the focus of one single person doing a company. So this idea of you having a CEO and then you have some other people that help you is not really something I've seen uh, at least here in Austria. I see two or three people, uh, more three than two, that uh, are equals. Okay. And they're just equally involved, but on focusing on different aspects of the business. All right. But they have to work good together. They have to be able, personality-wise, to collaborate without clashing too much. And that's hard. And this is where, when I said that people split up, this is why. Because they realize that they cannot work together efficiently. And yeah. it's all their time. And uh, yeah. Okay. So personality is very important when it comes to uh, starting the company and, and personality, not just because I cannot, I cannot positively say what type of personality you need to start a business. Maybe there's other people that can say that I cannot, but I can say that you need to match the personality that you have with your uh, co-founder okay. or co-founders in case there are more. Okay. Okay. Um, speaking of, would you, would you describe a bit what, what's happening within your company and what are you trying to solve okay. out there? Great. So my company is not finished yet. It's not incorporated, I think. It's, it's ongoing. Uh, but it was, for me, very simple. I gained a lot of knowledge. So um, through all my years of teaching, coaching, uh, mentoring, doing project work and so on, I mean, I developed a lot of information. And... Uh, this information, you know, it's not easy to get uh, in specialized fields like negotiations or even entrepreneurship. And because it's rare, um, I always want to improve myself. And I noticed nine years after I started working at the university that I'm kind of plateauing in what I can achieve. I can only influence so many people to become better negotiators or so many people to become uh, better entrepreneurs that you know, I want to be able to reach a larger audience. And the only way to do that is not to take more classes, but to open my <laughs> own business. Right. Uh, and this is, this is the, the same purpose I have now. It's not that I want all of a sudden to, uh, to it's not about money, actually. And, and this is something probably a lot of people said, but it's true. I want to be able to have more people that are thankful for the knowledge they're getting then, well, what I can do right now. And, and, and this is the only motivation I have. I want to make, to have a positive impact on the world. For example, in this field of uh, negotiations, um, is simple. Uh, there are very few qualified people that can teach this. There's a lot of people that negotiate, even in companies, you know, you have a lot of people doing that. But there are very few that can actually teach 
sustainably and, and logically this field of negotiations. And because of that, I believe this to be a very good gap. I know how to uh, do or how entrepreneurship is working and I have the know-how to open a company, so why not just do it? And this is how I end up with, with uh, what I'm doing right now. Right. There's these basically three large fields. Uh, for one is the person-to-person, -person, so uh, normal consulting for normal for issues that every individual can have, and that's one-to-one uh, -one coaching or even going representing them in their, in their name. Or when it comes to two people, you have mediation. You, I can be there as mediator. Uh, right. When, and when people have issues, um, and mediation sounds something that you're only doing when you're having a divorce or something. <laughs> it's actually very common. Mediation is something you, you, you see in companies a lot. Yeah. You know? yeah. When people work together for many hours and their personalities don't match, uh, you end up with a huge mess on your hands. And um, yeah, that's where I could come in and help. Or on the business side, or if you if you go larger, um, I plan on offering programs on developing whole divisions inside companies um, on how to ne either negotiate better or organize them. Because don't forget, my background is organization. So I can do both at the same time. Uh, and, and this is this is what I was, uh, this actually goes very nice with what I said in the beginning. Don't just focus on one thing, be more of a generalist. <laughs> you can match them, you can mix them, and you can achieve more. I can go in a company, have them, have them create better processes inside the company, organize them in a better way, make sure that the climate inside the companies uh, or the organizational climate and the organizational field is, is going properly and then teach them how to handle with other companies and other people outside the company. So, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And how, how is it uh, so far? What would be the, some challenges you, you have, especially now with this um, crazy time? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, what would be the main difficulties? When it comes to starting something on your own? Well, uh, first off, the word on your own. Uh, <laughs> not, yeah, <clears throat> that's the first challenge. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to open, to start something by yourself. It's much easier to start uh, as a team. The, the thing is in, in this field or what I'm trying to do, consultancy in this specific area, like I said, there are too few people that can help me with this. So. I, I have to start it by myself. Of course, then at least I don't have to worry about people that are not trustworthy or colleagues that are stealing ideas or anything like that. That's on one side. On the other hand, it's kind of complicated uh, because you don't know, even after a lot of years, what do you need to do first? Basically, everything is burning, everything you need to do at the same time. And the faster you start, the quicker you can get out there. There is an advantage, and the advantage here is called, um, I'm sorry to say this, but Corona. Because of <laughs> Corona, it's so much easier, and, and the world became so much more open towards online courses, yeah. online challenges, online anything, that it's just easier now to start a business where you consult or teach people. 
Right. With all of these media outlets, things are very, very bad. And uh, okay, you know what? It might be a nice thing we have. Is we can start businesses. We can uh, do actually. We can Absolutely. do things. This is, this is, I have no clue who said this, uh, but adversity sparks opportunity. Nicely said. Yeah. It's beautifully said. It's true. Uh, yeah. You always yeah. have to look, and and this is probably probably you have to be a bit optimistic as well. Um, be positive about what you want to do. If if you only get stuck into issues and problems that of course you'll have, you're not going to get very far because your attitude makes a big difference in entrepreneurship. In these crazy times, we actually see the opportunity, right? I mean, uh, boutique consulting. I, I just want to, it's not about, um, and I want to make a comment here. <laughs> the fact that I'm doing this for negotiations and also handling other things, but typically negotiations, is for the simple reason that this is a field that first has a large impact on everyone's life, more than they believe, number one. And the second thing, there is very few people that can tech actually teach this again. In Austria, there is few than, fewer than four people that can teach this. Yeah. Uh, University of Vienna had, well, they asked me if I can teach this at University of Vienna. I told them I can't. I don't have the capacity to do it. They had to fly someone from Japan Whoa. to teach. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. So they're not. There's no people around in this. Uh, there's too few people that can actually do this. Of course, of course, a lot of people can talk about their experience and what they've done. But that's a different thing. It's not. It's not. It's you cannot go from someone that does this for a living to someone that in, in, in gives others the knowledge and the motivation and the desire to understand or to learn this in a more deep way, in a deeper way. And because of that, um, I've, I've been uh, an academic advisor for a business negotiation club at the United Nations as well. For the same reason, because it's just what I love doing, it's a hobby, and at the same time also what I want to do as a business. Okay, Zagoshan, quick question. Do you think it's a good it's a good thing? I mean, because it's something so rare. It means does it mean you have to educate somehow the market? Mm -hmm. So what what do you think? So this is hard because most people don't associate negotiation with a real topic that you would learn. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, and that means they also don't search for it. They they're not searching for opportunities in this. Now, it's kind of the same way as with, uh, with crossing the street, you know? Uh, you can have a, cross, a street crossing sign or you can have a stoplight. Obviously, with the stoplight is more efficient, less risks, you know? Kind of the same way with this. You can negotiate by yourself, but you probably would do better if you have knowledge in this field. But, um, but my problem still remains. It's hard to find people. They're not coming to you. Um, they have, because they don't know what to search in the first place. Um, but once they hear, once they hear what you can achieve through this, uh, through real negotiations, and not, I'm not talking about price negotiations, those are one of the lowest, uh, easiest things you could possibly negotiate for. Um, I mean, more complex than price negotiations would be negotiating a marriage that is far harder <laughs> than negotiating the price. Uh, 
It's, it's, it's true. It's absolutely <laughs> true. Or negotiating for the climate change. I say big topics, right? Uh, yeah. Once they learn, they all want it. It's something, it's something, you know, I have been to classes, I, I had uh, introductory classes where everyone can join and they don't have to uh, apply, pre-apply or something. And um, from 70 people uh, attending, 50 decide to take a course that is over 24 hours long and uh, with about 70 hours of assignments and homeworks okay. and they all want to do it. Why? Because they realize after 30 minutes of introduction that this is something they can actually benefit their whole life from. Yeah. Okay, cool. So it means it's gonna be, you're gonna have to find a way how to <laughs> translate this in such a way to... You can, you can, if you're creative and you have an entrepreneurial spirit, you definitely have ways to reach audiences. Uh, for example, for example, right, uh, you go to um, conferences, not conferences, to competitions with entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of those out there, okay. hackathons, for example, or anything. And you start, you know, pitching. Hey, you know what you could benefit the most from? This. Or you can do it even the freeway. Uh, well, actually, not very free. You can create groups on Meetup or yeah, yeah. event right and people will definitely see those events they're online of course because it's very simple and there you go you get people involved and not necessarily this direct form of marketing where you advertise on facebook or whatever social media because that in something as the niche as this is kind of professional field you won't really get that many people there from from the regular let's say regular channels um, but yeah, be creative and you can definitely get to something. <laughs> right, right. Uh, okay, Dagush, um, I don't know if I missed, if I, uh, if I've missed anything. Do you have any words of wisdom to throw them out there? Well, actually, yes, a few. Um, first off, I have to say that everything I have done so far, okay, maybe I have done far less than others. Maybe I have done far more than others. I don't know. I'm somewhere. But everything that I have achieved, I have achieved because if I start doing something, I want to do it right. I don't want to waste my time just trying something out without, you know, giving interest. I am interested in everything I do because my time is valuable. And if my time is valuable, that translates in other people seeing that. In a world where everything is done halfway or 80%, me coming with 90% of 95%, it makes a difference. It, it, it makes someone decide to work with me or to interact with me. Why? Because I offer something that everyone else doesn't have. It's a very nice, uh, again, with the sayings, but it's a very nice, actually, it's mathematics. It's nothing else. Uh, if you take 0.99 or yeah. 99%, to the yeah. power of 365, yeah. it's basically nothing. But if you get 101, 1.01 at the power of 365, it's 30-something. Yeah. So yeah. all of a sudden, there's a huge difference in 2%. So the first thing, my time is important. I will not do things halfway. And the second thing is once you decide you agree to do something, keep your word no matter how difficult it is. Your word is the most important asset you have. Not the money, not the knowledge, nothing. Your word. You give your word, you keep your word. It doesn't mean no one, no, the world has enough people 
complaining about how difficult it is or how many excuses you could possibly come out with. Yes, you could possibly come up with excuses for everything. But that's not the point. The point is for to actually do something. And yes, because of that, because of that, I had nights where I slept less or at all. But hey, I got somewhere with that. So, yeah. Right, right. Um... Everything that I have talked to happened in the last 14 years. You can do a lot with your time. Um, a lot of people, I heard a lot of people say their life is too short, everything moves too fast. I don't know where are these people living because, of course, I don't have time either. But um, if I look back at every single week, I can look back at every single week and I have a lot of things that I'm doing, you know? But I also have to agree, I also say no to a lot of things. I don't just go and do everything. I don't. And I prefer, I'm the type of character that prefers to do hard work now for future benefits rather than being instantly gratified to watch a movie or something now. Exactly. So, and instant gratification as opposite to um, delayed gratification. I think yes. it's very important for each individual, but especially for entrepreneurs. Absolutely, absolutely. Being able to say no to things and do hard things first and easy things later is much better, much better. And most of the times I noticed, um, even among my colleagues at the university, this mindset gets you places because you're getting that extra one or two percent that other people don't have. So among 20 people that do about the same type of work, People, for example, in coaching entrepreneurship, people preferred me because I was the toughest. I was <laughs> the one that came up with the biggest issues, right? The yeah. biggest problems. But then when every, and of course they hated me at the time, but <laughs> when they started, when they actually launched, they were the happiest people that they had me. Why? Because, well, I helped them figure out issues that no one would have said. So not going for the, you know, the easiest or the best or the friendliest coach or friendliest person around. No, surround yourself with people that are saying no to you, that are being not negative, but that are being honest. I know it's a problem, so I will say something, not just be quiet because I don't want to lose face or create issues for other people. Looking back, Dagos, so uh, first of all, you are speaking with a millennial right now. So you give lots of advice yeah, to companies and all these individuals, entrepreneurs and so on. But what about you? Did you have any mentors? Did you have any, any people reaching out to when you had some difficult yeah. times? Yeah. It's really important to have someone to go to and talk to. But it's also very easy. And I, I'll tell you my story um, just in a bit. But before that, I want to be very clear. It's important to have a mentor or someone that can help you. But it is also very easy to overdo it, to just go for every little thing you have a problem, you just go to them. No, this is bad. Yeah. You, need to, you need to be able to work by yourself, for yourself, and only go to them if everything else fails. Okay. That is the right approach. Okay. Otherwise, otherwise, your work will not be your own. And once you don't have a mentor anymore, you will not know what to do anymore because every single time you had issues, you would go into the mentor. Now, in my life, I had a lot of mentors. 
most of them very specialized, very technical for, I have an issue for the, the specific issue and I was going to specific people. I typically searched them and looked for them. Um, so it wasn't by default that I was automatically mentored or something. Um, but for the most part, if I'm curious about something, I do my own research and I learn by myself. And I'm not afraid of learning. I, I love learning. I, I, I believe I will learn my whole life every single day. Um, you know, there, there were, I, I met people that were like, oh, I finished university. Finally, I don't have to learn anything my whole life. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, what, is, what, <laughs> what is wrong with you? If I go a day without learning something new, I feel I wasted the day of my life. You know, um, self, I, I work a lot by myself and, and, and this helps me develop more than just by having mentors around. That doesn't mean they're not important, but probably not very important or, or not as important as your own desire to become something in life. Exactly. And how do you stay up to date and just continue improving your, your skills and you as, a, as an individual? So um, when it comes to both entrepreneurship and negotiations and management, um, I mentioned earlier I'm part of organizations that meet regularly. Uh, I am part of, uh, I have a network of people in entrepreneurship I, um, that I keep in touch with. Uh, I get invited to events online now more than offline. So basically, I am part of a network in right. both fields uh, that uh, allow me to be up to date with information without being polluted by information that is not important to me. Yeah. So my information does not come from, very little of my information comes from third parties like, I don't know, news or news articles, media, and so on. Most of it is first-hand information from people that are actually doing that in right. these fields, at least. Right. So staying um, in a nice community with like uh, like-minded people, it's uh, yes. a great idea. Yes. Um, that they are global. That are global. Oh, just global. Like yeah, it's really important to be connected, not just with one location. It, let it be, I don't know, Europe or US, you have to be connected like globally, like you said, it, especially in business. Well, it's um, lots of experiences, lots, lots of work um, ahead. Um, how is it like in terms of stress and work-life balance? I mean, do you have any mechanisms in place just to cope with all this stress? Uh, yes, this is something I have been dealing with for a very long time. In a, in a way that it, it's, you know, my life got busier uh, every single year. And with life getting busier, I've been looking at, I've been doing courses on uh, time management, project management, how to make a good life balance. It, it's difficult. Um, I After reading and uh, coming up with so many different plans and tables and Kanban and so on and so forth. <laughs> yes, yeah, like I used Trello. I used so many different things, you know. I ended up with the simplest thing, something I built by myself. I looked in for, I took the information and I built a plan that works for me. Now, 
it's uh, something is based on the idea that to-do lists help no one <laughs> unless that to-do is actually scheduled in your calendar. If it's scheduled in your calendar, it's good because that is actionable. You have to do it. It's based on your calendar. So basically, my one tool that I have is my Google Calendar that is basically filled with all different colors of the rainbow. And there is where I basically plan my life. I use it for everything. Um, it's working. A lot of times I have too many things to do in a day. That is natural. Um, but, uh, but in time, I've been, I've been using this idea or this plan for two years now, and it's working. It's, it's full. It's all the time I have something to do. Uh, for some people, this will not work because they like to be uh, surprised and they like to be flexible and so on. I cannot work with flexible. I have to have structure in my life. Uh, I have too many things that I want to accomplish to uh, have the free time to just uh, not do anything. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not stressed. And the reason for which I'm not stressed is not because I don't have anything to do, because I do, I am full of things to do. Uh, but everything that I do, I do because it's fun, not because I have to. Right. I, it's fun to open a company. It's fun to work at the university. It's fun to teach. It's fun to just, you know, be uh, meet with people from all over the world. It's fun. And as long as you treat your work and as long as you treat your life as something fun, everything will seem fun. It's not a chore. And And this is how I basically run my day-to-day -day life. And of course, I said earlier, I do say a lot of no. So no, I cannot, no, I don't have the time or just no. And not because I wanna be mean to people, it's just because I only have that much time. And at the end of the day, I want to feel good about why, what I achieved in a day. Okay, Dragos, um, thanks so much for being so candid on my, on my podcast. Stay in touch, okay? Yes, absolutely. Um, Thanks for having me.